Hello and welcome to this Saturday, August 17th, 2019 episode of Law of Success Mastermind. Tonight's episode, we are on persistence in Think and Grow Rich on part two of two. If you fear criticism, let us examine some of the symptoms of the fear of criticism. The majority of people permit relatives, friends, and the public at large to so influence them that they cannot live their own lives because they fear criticism. Huge numbers of people make mistakes in marriage and stand by the bargain and go through life miserable and unhappy because they fear criticism which may follow if they correct the mistake. Anyone who has submitted to this form of fear knows the irreparable damage it does by destroying one's ambition and the desire to achieve. Millions of people neglect to acquire belated educations after having left school because they fear criticism. Countless numbers of men and women, both young and old, permit relatives to wreck their lives in the name of duty, because they fear criticism. Duty does not require any person to submit to the destruction of of his personal ambitions and the right to live his own life in his own way. People refuse to take chances in business because they fear the criticism which may follow if they fail. The fear of criticism in such cases is stronger than the desire for success. Too many people refuse to set high goals for themselves or even neglect or even neglect selecting a career because they fear the criticism of relatives and friends who may say Don't aim so high. People will think you are crazy. When Andrew Carnegie suggested that I devote 20 years to the organization of a philosophy of individual achievement, my first impulse of thought was fear of what people might say. The suggestion set up a goal for me, far out of proportion to any I had ever conceived. As quick as a flash in my mind began to create alibis and excuses, all of them traceable to the inherent fear of criticism, something inside of me said, You can't do it. The job is too big and requires too much time. What will your relatives think of you? How will you earn a living? No one has ever organized a philosophy of success. What right? What right have you believe have you to believe you can do it? Who are you anyway to aim so high? Remember your humble birth? What do you know about philosophy? People will think you are crazy. And they did.
Why hasn't some other person done this before now? These and many other questions flashed into my mind and demanded attention. It seemed as if the whole world had suddenly turned its attention to me with the purpose of ridiculing me into giving up all desire to carry out Mr. Carnegie's suggestion. I had a fine opportunity, then and there, to kill off ambition before it gained control of me. Later in life, after having analyzed thousands of people, I discovered that most ideas are stillborn and need the breath of life injected into them through definite plans of immediate action. The time to nurse an idea is at the time of its birth. Every minute it lives gives it a better chance of surviving. The fear of criticism is at the bottom of the destruction of most ideas, which never reach the planning and action stage. Breaks can be made to order. Many people believe that material success is the result of favorable breaks. There is an element of ground for the belief, but those depending entirely upon luck are nearly always disappointed because they overlook another important factor which must be present before one can be sure of success. It is the knowledge with which favorable breaks can be made to order. During the Depression, W.C. Fields, the comedian, lost all his money and found himself without income, without a job, and his means of earning a living, vaudeville, no longer existed. Moreover, he was past 60, when many men consider themselves old. He was so eager to stage a comeback that he offered to work without pay in a new field, movies. In addition to his other troubles, he fell and injured his neck. To many, that would have been the place to give up and quit. But Fields was persistent. He knew that if he carried on, he would get the breaks sooner or later. And he did get them, but not by chance. Marie Dressler found herself down and out, with her money gone, with no job, with when she was about 60. She, too, went after the breaks and got them. Her persistence brought an astonishing triumph later in life, long beyond the age when most men and women are done with ambition to achieve. Eddie Cantor lost his money in the 1929 stock crash, but he still had his persistence and his courage. With these, plus two prominent eyes, he exploited himself back into an income of $10,000 a week. Truly, if one has persistence, one can get along very well without many other qualities. The only break anyone can afford to rely upon is a self-made break. These come through the application of persistence, the starting point 
is definiteness of purpose. Examine the first hundred people you meet. Ask them what they want most in life, and 98 out of them will not be able to tell you. If you press them for an answer, some will say security, many will say money, a few will say happiness, others will say fame and power, and still others will say social recognition, ease in living, ability to sing, dance, or write, but none of them will be able to define these terms or give (coughs) the slightest indication of a plan by which they are hoping to attain these vaguely expressed wishes. Riches do not respond to wishes. They respond only to definite plans, backed by definite desires through constant persistence. How to develop persistence. There are four simple steps which lead to the habit of persistence. They call for no great amount of intelligence, no particular amount of education, and but little time or effort. The necessary steps are, one, a definite purpose backed by burning desire for its fulfillment. Two, a definite plan expressed in continuous action. Three, a mind closed tightly against all negative and discouraging influences, including negative suggestions of relatives, friends, and acquaintances. Four, a friendly alliance with one or more persons who will encourage one to follow through with both plan and purpose. These four steps are essential for success in all walks of life. The entire purpose of the 13 principles of this philosophy is to enable one to take these four steps as a matter of habit. These are the steps by which one may control one's economic destiny. They are the steps that lead to freedom and independence of thought. They are the steps that lead to riches in in small or great quantities. They lead the way to power, fame, and worldly recognition. They are the four steps which guarantee favorable breaks. They are the steps that convert dreams into physical realities. They lead also to the mastery of fear, discouragement, indifference. There is a magnificent reward reward for all who learn to take these four steps. It is the privilege of writing one's own ticket and of making life yield whatever price is asked. How to Master Difficulties What mystical power gives to men of persistence the capacity to master difficulties? Does the quality of persistence set one set up in one's mind some form of spiritual, mental, or chemical activity which gives one access to supernatural forces? Does infinite intelligence throw itself on the side of the person who still fights on after the battle has been lost, with the whole world on the opposing side? These and many other similar questions have risen in my mind as I have observed men like Henry Ford, who started at scratch and built an industrial empire of huge proportions, with little else in the way of a beginning but persistence. Or Thomas A. Edison, who, 
with less than three months of schooling, became the world's leading inventor and converted persistence into the talking machine, the moving picture machine, and the incandescent light, to say nothing of half a hundred other useful inventions. I had the happy privilege of analyzing both Mr. Edison and Mr. Ford, year by year over a long period of years, and therefore the opportunity to study them at close range, so I speak from actual knowledge when I say that I found no quality save persistence in either of them, that even the remotely suggested that even remotely suggested the major source of their stupendous achievements. As one makes an impartial study of the prophets, philosophers, miracle men, and religious leaders of the past, one is drawn to the inevitable conclusion that persistence, concentration of effort, indefiniteness of purpose were the major sources of their achievements. Consider, for example, the strange and fascinating story of Mohammed. <clears throat> Analyze his life. Compare with men of achievement in this modern age of industry and finance and observe how they have one outstanding trait in common. Persistence. If you are keenly interested in studying the strange power which gives potency to persistence, read a biography of Muhammad, especially the one by Isad Bey. This brief review of that book by Thomas Sugru in the Herald Tribune will provide a preview of the rare treat in store for those who take the time to read the entire story of one of the most astounding examples of the power of persistence known to civilization. <clears throat> one of the most astounding examples of the power of persistence known to civilization. Okay, here we go. The Last Great Prophet, reviewed by Thomas Sugru. Muhammad was a prophet, but he never performed a miracle. He was not a mystic. He had no formal schooling. He did not begin his mission until he was 40, when he announced that he was the messenger of God, bringing word of the true religion. He was ridiculed and labeled a lunatic. Children tripped him, and women threw filth upon him. He was banished from his native city, Mecca, and his followers were stripped of their worldly goods and sent into the desert after him. When he had been preaching ten years, he had nothing to show for it but banishment, poverty, and ridicule. Yet, before another ten years had passed, he was dictator of all Arabia, ruler of Mecca, and the head of a new world religion, which was to sweep to the Danube and the Pyrenees before exhausting the impetus he gave it. That impetus was threefold, the power of words, the efficacy of prayer, and man's kinship with God. His career never made sense. Muhammad was born to impoverished members of a leading family of Mecca. Mecca. Because Mecca, the crossroads of the world, home of the magic stone called the Kaaba, great city of trade and the center of trade routes was unsanitary. His children were sent to be raised in the desert by Bedouins. 
Muhammad was thus nurtured, drawing strength and health from the milk of nomad, vicarious mothers. He tended sheep and soon hired out to a rich widow as a leader of her caravans. He traveled to all parts of the eastern world, talked with many men of diverse backgrounds, and observed the decline of Christianity into warring sects. When he was 28, Khadija, the widow, took upon him with favor and married him. Her father would have objected to objected to such a marriage, so she got him drunk and held him up while he gave the paternal blessing. For the next 12 years, Muhammad lived as a rich and respected and very shrewd trader. Then he took to wandering in the desert, and one day he returned with the first verse of the Koran, Koran and told Khadija that the archangel Gabriel had appeared to him and said that he was to be the messenger of God. The Koran, the revealed word of God, was the closest thing to a miracle in Muhammad's life. He had not been a poet. He had no gift of words. Yet the verses of the Koran, as he received them and recited them to the faithful, were better than any verses which the professional poets of the tribes could produce. This, to the Arabs, was a miracle. To, de- to them, the gift of words was the greatest gift. The poet was all-powerful. In addition, the Koran had that all men said that all men were equal before God, that the world should be a democratic state, Islam. It was the political heresy plus Muhammad's desire to destroy all the 360 idols in the courtyard of the Kaaba, which brought about his banishment. The idols brought the desert tribes to Mecca, and that meant trade. So the businessmen of Mecca, the capitalists of which he had been one, set upon Muhammad. Then he retreated to the desert and demanded demanded sovereignty over the world. The rise of Islam began. Out of the desert came a flame which would not be extinguished, a democratic army fighting as a unit and prepared to die without wincing. Muhammad had invited the Jews and Christians to join him, for he was not building a new religion. He was calling all who believed in one God to join in a single faith. If the Jews and Christians had accepted his invitation, Islam would have conquered the world. They didn't. They would not even accept Muhammad's imitation of humane warfare. When the armies of the Prophet entered Jerusalem, not a single person was killed because of his faith. When the Crusaders entered the city centuries later, not a Muslim man, woman, or child was spared. But the Christians did accept one Muslim idea, the place of learning the university. Whoa. I had never heard that. Huh. That's uh, interesting to end persistence with a religion like that.
Okay, here it says... There were some medieval universities. Huh. Well, I'm on Wikipedia and I'm not finding too much. Who invented the university? The earliest universities were founded in Asia and Africa, predating the first European medieval universities. The University of Al something founded in Morocco. Oh yeah, that's what it sounds like in Morocco. Interesting. The Muslim invention of the university. It's like the the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Okay, so a summary is initiative and leadership and persistence. That's what this week was about. And it ended with a religious antidote about the Muslim religion, the Islam. It's interesting because I'm also doing my own religious study. And for this to come up here too, it's interesting because I think we should all kind of open our minds not to believe everything, but just be open to um, other people and their beliefs. Not hating people. <laughs> you know, this is part of a pleasing personality and, you know, cooperation. We're going to have to cooperate with other people. And I'm not saying you have to be best friends, and I'm not saying you have to to build your future with someone with a different belief structure. But you will have to, uh, you know, work with them from time to time. Provide a service to them from time to time. Uh, you know, help them. Everyone is... Uh, I, don't, I, I, I don't think that any of us can really do that kind of judging. So... Off that topic, persistence and leadership really comes down to constant, never-ending improvement. It comes down to just never giving up, having that definiteness of purpose. This, this chapter was good. This week was good studying this. Because I need to keep the persistence. I took yesterday off. But then today, I think I made up with, for with my other podcast because I made longer podcasts. I believe I'm, I'm putting plenty out. 
that is really helping people to understand who I am, what I stand for, what I'm doing here, and will help me to improve myself. I know that there's a lot that I need to improve on. I know that I'm far from perfect. And I know that I judge other people and I, and I shouldn't and I need to work on that. And I think that's a big part of what I'm working on is just judging less and leaving that up to um, a higher power. There's things that that uh, I believe are right and and that sort of thing. But it's not about being political. Um, you know, there are some simple roles. There are some simple things that I think everyone can kind of go along with, especially like the Ten Commandments. I mean, that's kind of like no-brainer. <laughs> Persistence in leadership says, you know what? I understand we have different beliefs. I understand that we don't necessarily agree. But that doesn't mean that we can't be civil. That we can't have a pleasing personality towards each other. And that's so important. It's so unbelievably important. I'm not saying that there aren't reasons to stop and correct the course. But you can't give up. Like, there, sh- there should never really be a reason to give up. If, you, if, the, if a mission is important enough to start, why would you give up? And sometimes that's why. Because the mission wasn't important enough. And you give up to reframe things and go after a, a more appropriate mission. That's leadership. To be able to see where to go and to make the proper decisions. And if uh, the decisions need to be adjusted, you can do that. But it's not about just getting scared and saying, oh, let's do this. And oh, oh, that's not going to work. Let's do this. Oh, that's not going to work. Let's do this. And I've done that. And sometimes I do things like that because it's like I want people to do certain things. And it's, I know it's against me, but it's because it's to protect them. And then it causes problems. And some of it has had to do with my bad mental states. So I'm really working on that. I'm really working on strengthening my own mind in that sense. I, I was listening to this like interview today. And the guy was talking about Napoleon Hill and about some of the things that he did in his life. And some of it I don't know if it's 100% accurate. Some I do know it is accurate. But he wasn't a big fan of Napoleon Hill in that. And the funny thing is, is that What he highlighted was that Napoleon Hill was persistent over his life, and he eventually was successful. Now, could he have been more successful? Possibly. I don't think his his work was complete. It It was good work, yes, but it's not the full law. 
it's part of the law of success. Maybe you could do have success with just this. But I feel like there are some pieces missing because it doesn't create a balance in life. It attempts to, but it doesn't break it down enough. It's too complex. And then it shifts. And I don't like... Some of the shift, it's inappropriate. The law of success is valuable. Think and grow rich is valuable. But then when you get into Napoleon Hill's keys to success, things start to go a little a little bit different and it's it's still important and valuable but if you just go by one you're not going to get the full picture you would think that the law of success as big as it is would have all the answers you'd think think and grow rich would have the answers you need you'd think that keys to success would have the answers you need but you really need to study them all and then add in additional Honestly, and I think I found some of the additional. I mean, I think I found the the important. I can't find gaps. I mean, even during the biggest struggles and frustrations and things that should be getting me riled up, I'm just continuing to move forward. And we'll see how things unfold further, but I think that this is a really good example of highlighting the power of these daily podcasting, these daily podcasts that's daily masterminding. So I appreciate you for listening. I appreciate um, all my listeners because this podcast is by far my most popular. Um, It's gotten over 1,600 listens so far. Uh, I'm getting between 50 and 70 listens per episode now. Um, people are really seeming to enjoy it. And I hope that I can continue to add value to your life. So thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you. And if you want to check out more about what I'm working on, head on over to inspirelancing.com. It also has a podcast um, link in the menu, and you can see all my other podcasts. So check them out if you're interested. And uh, thank you again for listening. Have a great day.